Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Pakistan Cricket Podcast. Episode 1, The Return of the Aussies with Gideon Hay and Osman Samiuddin. So I'm lucky to have two brilliant guests with me today. Gideon Hay is an Australian journalist and non-fiction writer based in Melbourne, Australia. He has written far too many books for me to list here, but I will mention his latest non-fiction book. The night was a bright moonlight, and I could see a man quite plain, which is a true story about an Edwardian cricket murder. I heard Gideon talking about this uh, on his own cricket podcast, Cricket Etc. I also have Osman Samiuddin, who is a senior editor at ESPN Crick Info, based in London. He is also the author of an excellent book on the history of Pakistani cricket, The Unquiet Ones, A History of Pakistan Cricket. So thank you so much, uh, Gideon and Asman, for uh, agreeing to discuss Pakistan-Australia cricket with me. Uh, how are you both doing? Good. Very good. Excited, actually. Excited about the prospect of getting back there. Um, I think it's a really... Um, I, I think the fact that the Australians are taking basically a full-strength team um, shows there is actually mm-hmm. some, some genuine enthusiasm among Australian players for the prospect of getting back to a place that none of them have ever toured. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. It's been, you know, the first tour was, the last tour was 1998-99. Um, actually, that was a question I had for you, actually, uh, about whether or how seriously the team was taking this. Because um, on the one hand, of course, I'm really happy that Australia is coming, whatever team is coming. Um, but, you know, are, is the team being guilted into going or is there genuine excitement, you think, within well, I think that um, you know we have not taken a non-Ashes Test tour since Sandpapergate. It's astounding. It's four years that we haven't gone anywhere else to play a Test match. So I, I think there's a perception that these opportunities are rare, and that um, and if they're mm-hmm. going to continue to be forthcoming, then players have to support them. There's a mm-hmm. there's a there's a desire to test themselves in um, in unfamiliar conditions. That's stimulating for mm-hmm. Australians. I think we've also come to the end of a summer here that hasn't really been all that exciting, hasn't really been stimulating, mm-hmm. hasn't been a huge test for the team. Um, and if, the, and if no. the team aspires to legitimacy as the number one test nation, then it has to prove itself in all conditions. 
Oh, that's great to hear. I was I was a bit worried you would say, yeah, they're not super excited, but you know, they kind of have to go. Um, because then one of the reasons I was thinking that was because I was trying to imagine, you know, what just happened with Justin Langer and whether this situation would ever arise if there was an India tour, let's say, on the horizon or the ashes. This is just the reality, right? That those tours maybe carry more weight. So even if they are taking it seriously, would the Australian Cricket Board ever conceive of doing what just happened? Well, it's a big tour. You know, by modern standards, this is a big tour. It's got um, it's got three test matches. It's got a lengthy white ball component. Uh, it will take place in, you know, uh, conditions of extreme security. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, there's a, there's, there's a sort of a solemnness about the undertaking from, uh, from, from that point of view. But I think there's, um, I think players are stimulated by the prospect of challenging themselves under different circumstances. There's this interesting video going around at the moment of uh, Marnus Labuschagne training in Pakistan conditions. So he clearly, the idea of playing somewhere new and learning new tricks is, uh, is something that he finds very exciting. I didn't thought about that, but I'm so excited about how the Pakistani players are going to react to all the Marnus, Marnus doing Marnus. Usman, I mean, it's pretty obvious that, you know, everybody in Pakistan or most people in Pakistan who care about cricket are going to be excited. Um, could you put this tour into context? Why, why, why does it matter? Why is everybody so excited? Oh, my God. There's so, just so much. I mean, you know, it's the, obviously the first Australian tour for 24 years. I also feel like, you know, Australia-Pakistan is actually, it, it used to be a really, really good rivalry in, in the 70s. And, and even, even until, I would say, like, you know, through the mm-hmm. 80s, I think it was a really, really strong, solid rivalry. There was a couple, you know, there was a good series in 94, 95 as well. But it, it, it's, it feels like really under-discussed generally it, it's got good history there and, and I think just you know for somebody like like myself who kind of maybe thinks in that way it's it's just engaging for something like that to be happening again um but of course you know then you also look at Pakistan's schedule over the next year right? you've you got Australia coming now in itself you know, just by itself if that's the only tour that happens over the next year to Pakistan that that's still mm-hmm. a massive mm-hmm. deal but you've got uh, England coming at the end of 2022. You've got New Zealand coming for test matches as well. So, you know, if you think about it, that that's three countries that haven't toured Pakistan for years mm-hmm. and years. Uh, and New Zealand, you know, technically they did tour. Yeah, they were yeah, going to play yeah. until they left. So they were there for a little while. Um, but, you know, those three tours, if they happen, they, if, you know, touch wood if they go off without incident and stuff, that basically, I, th- I think, kind of cements the fact that cricket is back in Pakistan until, you know, until whatever next crisis the country lurches into but you know and you know i'm not going to like kind of <laughs> i'm not going to try and guess what may happen there because there's there's potential for a lot to happen but yeah i think australia coming it's massive and then if you place that in the context of this of this coming year it, it's even like it's just bigger you know it, it really does bring about i i think a real massive tangible change in the way pakistan cricket plays out uh, because if you start getting everything, you know, mm-hmm. playing at home, it just changes mm-hmm. the way you are um, as as a as a as a culture. And but and you know, just at a smaller level, I really want to see this Australian team play in Pakistan. I think it's genuinely it's a great test. The last few test matches in Pakistan have have been on great surfaces, by the way. You mm-hmm. know, against South Africa, the, the the pitches that have started with something for the fast bowlers, then days two and three, suddenly you've seen some great batting. And then suddenly, towards the end of, of the test matches, you know, the, these test matches are kind of building up and suddenly you have some reverse swing and some spin mm-hmm. coming into it. Mm-hmm. 
you know, with, 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 with bowling attacks as good as both the sides have, it's, it's going to be a fascinating series. So I'm, I'm looking forward purely, just very micro sense, I'm looking forward to them actually playing some really good cricket against each other, uh, mm. in, you know, in, in three venues. Absolutely. Or um, mm. And yeah, I, towards the end of the discussion, uh, you know, I want to ask you both about, you know, the squads and, and predictions, <laughs> you know, if you two have them. Um, but one more question, Osman, about the tour. Uh, politically speaking, is this going to be spun by, or has it been spun by Ramiz Raja as a victory of his leadership of the PCB and, you know, by extension, maybe of Imran Khan's for appointing him? I undoubtedly will. Maybe not so much Imran because, you know, there's been cricket in his time in Pakistan. But I, I, I would say very much for Ramiz that he will spin it as a victory. And, you know, there were already signs that they were doing it. But that Ramiz, is, Ramiz and Ramiz's administration is not alone in doing that. You, you would think that, you know, the previous administration under mm-hmm. Hassan Mani and mm-hmm. Hassan Khan the chief executive officer, they were very, they were always at, at pains to make it clear how much they had done to bring international cricket back to Pakistan. Whereas, actually, if you go back into it, there's Najam Sethi's administration, even before them, was the administration that started bringing teams like, okay, they started with Zimbabwe, mm-hmm. but then they got West Indies in, and then they started moving PSL matches mm-hmm. to Pakistan. And actually, Najam Sethi's administration made the very delicate transition from paying teams to come and play in Pakistan. So, for example, you know, West Indies got extra payment, Zimbabwe got extra payment, the World Eleven that played in, in Pakistan, with some Australian players in it, actually, they they mm-hmm. were all paid an, an extra lump sum for turning up to Pakistan. So they made that transition from doing that and then saying, right, we're not going to pay now and you just come. So, mm-hmm. you know, they, they started that process. Esan Mani and Wasim Khan built on it. And now, of course, Ramiz is, you know, here and he's going to he, he, like the like that, I guess, number six coming in at 300, 500 for four or whatever. against the tired <laughs> attack. He's going to reap all the benefits in, in the next year or so. And, you know, good for him. He, he's he's going to be here when Australia, England and New Zealand tour. He's probably going to be chairman at that time. He wants to take credit. You know, we, we live in a we live in a world where social media and image and perception are important things. And, and and so he will get that credit. But, you know, I'm, I'm just saying we shouldn't forget that it's actually, it's built up since 2015, mm-hmm. I would say, more mm-hmm. than anything. I think the other thing to me is, is Australian players playing in the PSL. True, true. Um, have done a lot to spread the word about Pakistan as a, as, a, as a cricket destination. And, of course, there have been some Pakistanis who've come to play in the Big Bash League. So it's not as though the two countries have ever been total strangers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, in fact, Pakistan's always had quite persuasive advocates in Australia. Shane Watson's been very important that's to right, that. That's right. Um, because he's on the ACA executive. Uh, he's a he's a player that, um, that that other players turn to for advice. He's always been considered pretty worldly and, and pretty articulate. He's been a really good ambassador for Pakistan cricket here. I wonder if uh, George would would George Bailey have had some input in because he came with the with the World Eleven in 2017, didn't yeah. he? Him and Ben yeah. Gutting, I think, were part of the team then. I, I wonder if George Bailey would have had some kind of. I, I'm sure he would have, you know, chatted to, to the players about it mm. at some point. I'm sure. I think there's been a lot of positive chat about Pakistan probably since Pakistan came out here in 2019 mm-hmm. 20. Mm. Um, Wasim Khan came out at the same time. He met lots of people, you know, kind of opinion makers and. Uh, and you know, explain the scenario uh, very simply and, and and very well. And I think from from that point on, there was a bit of momentum towards this this tour taking place. We just had to be patient about it. That's great to hear. Um, and yeah, I, I totally forgot about Shane Watson. And yeah, that's that's really good to hear how um, you know, not only 
we have to take into account not only Pakistani administrators but also advocates for Pakistan in hey, from the countries. Quite a gladiator, I'm sure. One other, which is Justin Langer. Because Justin Langer made his first Test 100 in Pakistan yes. on the last Australian tour of Pakistan. Really? Okay. Mm. So he was enthusiastic yeah, yeah. about getting back. He, I mean, he was actually pretty desperate to, uh, to, to coach Australia on this tour because he, because he saw the, the, the circle closing. That's fascinating. I didn't know that. Actually, I was looking through a lot of the old scorecards and I totally forgot to check the 98-99 one mm. carefully. Um, and so... A lot of people forget that series. Well, Mark Taylor doesn't, but a lot of people in Pakistan kind of wipe that series. Well, Langover, if you remember, got a duck in the first test. Yeah, yeah. Was, uh, and he was absolutely plum LBW in the second <laughs> test on North. And he was reprieved and he went on to make 100. And it changed yeah. the course of his test career. Of his career, wow. yeah, yeah. Okay, so staying with history, actually. So this is perfect. You both have led me here. Uh, so I don't need to do the work of the transitions. You've, you've made that for me. Um, Gideon, I'm curious about your earliest memories of Pakistani cricket. You know, what players, tours, or matches come to mind for you? Well, 76-7 was a, was a mm-hmm. cracking mm-hmm. tour. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm too young to remember 72-3, but 76-7 with just a wonderful collection of players in it. Um, Marjid Khan, mm-hmm. Zahir Abbas, Iqbal, the young Imran Khan, the young Javed Miandad, uh, Mushtaq Muhammad as captain, Sadiq Muhammad made 100 in Melbourne. Uh, you know, that at Safraz now as, you know, mm. it's, it's a hot team and a, and a charismatic team too. You know, the, um, you know, my formative memories are of the 74 Five Ashes mm-hmm. series which was an Australian walkover, the 75-6 Australia-West Indies series, which Australia you know, bulldozed um, the West Indies. Pakistan turned up and they went toe-to-toe with Australia. Now, they played really well in that uh, series, only three-test series, but full of full of great memories. You know, Lily bowling brilliantly mm. in Melbourne and, uh, and mm. then Emma bowling brilliantly in Sydney. The first ball of that series, Majid Khan cut Dennis Dilly for four. Wow. I, I can still remember it. Uh, wow. in it was just a half tracker and he put it away. And I thought, <laughs> boy, it's still in my mind. It's like Michael Slater hitting that, hitting that first ball of the series yeah, in 1994. Yeah. You don't forget things like that. And the style with which Marge had approached Test cricket, you know, the, the, the floppy hat and the, that, that sort of general air of insouciance, they were great characters. Um, you, didn't, you couldn't get close to them in the way that we can get close to them, but perhaps that allowed imagination to do a little bit more work. Did you, Gideon, did you see that, that the, the famous six that he hit off, off Lily at Sydney on the way to like the 36 target? No, I was in Melbourne, but, uh, and I was actually away for that last test. But uh, there was something about the brio of Marjid Khan. He's always been one of my really favourite players uh, and only based on a handful of innings, mm. but they were collectible innings. And I remember the, um, the scene at the end of that series where, um, wasn't it, uh, Marjan gave, um, gave his hat yes, to Lily? Yes, gave his hat to yeah. Lily. Yeah, I presented yeah. his hat to Lily because he had that contest with him and he said that if you knock yes. my, my hat off with a bouncer, then I'll, you, know, you can have the hat <laughs> or whatever. And, um, yeah. But, you know, Marjan, by the way, I, I, I've met him twice in my life, or once actually. I, I went to his house with his son, Bazid, who, you know, is, is a very good thinker on the game, as well as a commentator. And we went to Islamabad 
and and he is just a, a deeply deeply impressive person to be around like you can just you feel his presence and yeah. I, I think i wrote about it somewhere but i i think you can you can see that he is a, a guy that imran khan actually aspires mm-hmm. to. you know you always mm-hmm. have that elder kind of cool cousin or a cool mentor in your mm-hmm. life when you're growing up you know i certainly had like i had a few cousins i had a few friends who were a little bit older and i used to think you know they're cool they're nice <laughs> and you kind of subconsciously you try and be like him but with with majid i think i think majid is that guy for imran khan which right. which says something about the kind of you know and majid for a lot of his life has not had the time of day for imran at all. <laughs> but i think he is that kind of you know very chooses his words very carefully mm-hmm. and maintains strict discipline and, and rigor in a lot of aspects of his life and stuff but you know is is just a kind of a font of knowledge generally and and general kind of you know i'm very serious about life and and if you're not then you're not my worth worth my time type and, which is you know i, I mean i i fall over at that kind of thing i want to be like you what was he i've heard so much about him obviously and you know what sort of player was he what was this sort of stylistically what did he look like what sort of for players you know for people who've never watched him or weren't able to watch him one of those stylists who um managed to achieve maximum output for minimum apparent <laughs> effort yeah i mean it just barely moved his feet at all yeah. played the ball very very late seemed to have all the time in the world uh never discommoded by the fastest bowling in, in, in fact seemed to be stimulated mm-hmm. by it just a touch of boredom about him as though the game was ever so slightly <laughs> beneath him but you know he he to play it if he had to and I, and i think the 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 one so you know it's, it's it's impossible trying to confirm any anecdotes that you hear about him with him because he's like mm, i i don't <laughs> but the one that I, i begged and pleaded i was there for like 3 hours we had fabulous lunch with his family and stuff and i asked him i'd i'd heard this story about how at a net session in glamorgan he when he was playing for uh for glamorgan he, he some bowlers were bowling to him and and he said that i'm going to i'm going to prove to you guys that footwork is massively overrated as mm. a as a batter as a batting thing in in cricket and and so he confer he said to me that well yes i may have done something like that and i said what did you do and i said well you know i, I told these guys to bowl at me on this really treacherous net pitch and i said to them that if you see me move my feet more than say you know 6 inches in any direction then i'll take you all out for lunch and and you bowl whatever you want to me and i'll just be you know as my usual self and I'll just play all these kind of shots I'll show you how I can play the cut and I how I can play the bouncer and how I can play this how I can forward defend without moving my feet and he says I did it you know I batted for an hour in the nets and I didn't move my feet at all and and you can ask anyone <laughs> and I was like well you know if you've said it that's good enough for me I was the camera there at the time that it happened but so the lack of footwork was was possibly a working theory for him that you don't need to have footwork to be you know to to be as good as he was just before I, we move on from majid just one quick question usman uh, was the imran you know was the reason why majid uh not so keen on imran was b- maybe because of how his career ended with imran's captaincy was that was that the story i i think it it, it was yeah it, it it was birthed by that decision that you know imran as captain and it was mm-hmm. a justified mm-hmm. decision that imran took you know it, it was a selection call and he felt that you know it one it it was he felt i think imran justifies it explains it rather by saying that you know one he felt it was the correct mm-hmm. call to make but two i think there was some element of him 
showing his authority as a captain and his mm-hmm. independence that he would not be kind of you know swayed by family ties or whatever because that was important at that time you know in the game so uh, and i think but that like majid definitely held that against him mm-hmm. for a while and then you know they they drifted further and further apart and i i think it was only bazid his son says that i think it was only around the early part of the century when they finally kind of you know got back together to somewhat normality mm. in mm. their ties and i think you know i think they're they're okay now they're they're, they're fairly kind of friendly but it, it was yeah it was sparked off by the by the dropping of him for that 82 um series mm. in england mm. um and i think gideon you've mentioned mushtaq muhammad uh, i was trying to think back to um you know some of the classic series or matches and um the victory in melbourne uh by pakistan under the leadership of mushtaq muhammad in 79 uh or Miyad's captaincy in uh, in the home series in 88 uh you know when Imran was missing yeah. uh, those are the two I, I was thinking yeah. about do you both remember those series or uh, are those the ones that come to mind when it comes to Pakistan and in Australia having you know amazing matches or series Ujjav and Miyad was a kind of a paradigmatic um Pakistani cricketer as far as Australians were concerned of course he had his famous contretemps with Lily at uh, Perth in 81 uh he was kind of, he was as you say at the at the head of pakistan in 88 when they um when they bested australia there uh he was proverbially undismissible lbw in the subcontinent <laughs> I don't know whether this back, but uh yeah he was one of those players who just seemed to rule who ruled the game he didn't just seem to preside over test matches that he played in if you look, if you followed me and dad for the course of a test match you'd be pretty close to the center of the action all the time uh who else would be in that category well imran khan was in that category mm-hmm. too um he was a i guess you could look upon him ironically now somewhat as as being a a bridge between the cultures because he had this um uh close association with the anglo sphere mm-hmm. he was the kind of man who looked a treat in a suit at royal ascot <laughs> um as as well as being you know uh, uh, the glass of fashion on the on on the cricket field he commanded a um a swooning female following in australia mm-hmm. whenever he set foot here uh and the perception was rightly or wrongly that whenever imran was in the team then that his teammates walked a foot taller around him um you know he he was so poised so confident um so convinced uh, of of pakistan's destiny that he managed to persuade others to follow him quite readily. Usman, I think you you've talked about Miyadad's captaincy. Um, you know, I think in the in the tour that Imran was missing, uh, was that the tour where he deployed like three spinners or something in in, in this that that was the the 88 89 tour, yeah, when when Australia lost one. So what do you think about, you know, Miyadad's captaincy versus Imran's or 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 is it the the truth that the, you know they both go well together that Miyadad was sort of the tactical brain and Imran was maybe the charismatic leader is 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 that a fair characterization or Yeah I mean yeah you know there there is obviously a certain kind of complementability I guess between between the two but I I think it was one of Gideon's articles actually the a long time ago there's an appreciation of Javed Miyadad in which he wrote about the fact that you know Imran always whenever he was captain he always had Miyadad in mm-hmm. the team with him 
But when Miyadal was captain of the test side, Imran was very mm. seldom in that side. Because, you know, mm. How dare Imran play while he's, you know, if he's not captain? <laughs> mm. <laughs> After about 82, 83 onwards, how dare? You know, Imran can't possibly play without being captain. So, you know, that, that says something about, you know, because Imran w- would have been a massive weapon, you know, even if yes. you exclude the, the two and a half years when he had mm-hmm. that chin injury, which when he didn't bowl. Under, if you as a captain are not being able to call upon the resources of Imran Khan as a bowler, then you are, you're, you know, you're, you're a weaker team than with mm-hmm. him in it. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, Javed, I, I think he worked out ways uh, of, of, of compensating for that absence. So like the 88-89 tour that we're talking about, Imran didn't want to play because it was September. And he thought mm-hmm. that September is a silly time to play cricket in Pakistan because it's just so hot. And he's kind of right, but, you know, with hindsight now, you have an international calendar where you play in June in the UAE. So, <laughs> you know, people play all year round, right? So, so I mean, th- th- that was Imran being Imran. He didn't play in that series because he literally thought it was just going to be too hot in September. Um, so, you know, may have devised ways around it. But also, mm-hmm. interestingly, you know, for, for, all the, for all what people think that, you know, Abdul Qadir had no bigger backer than mm-hmm. Imran, actually, Qadir's record, and that, you know, that has much to do with the pitches that they played in and the umpiring at the time. There's no doubt about that. But I think Qadir's record, uh, as his test record under under Miyadal's captaincy, with whom he didn't get mm-hmm. on so well, is actually considerably better than his record under mm-hmm. Imran's captaincy. Now, mm-hmm. of course, under Imran's captaincy, he played in unforgiving leg-spinning mm-hmm. venues mm-hmm. like you know Australia. He played in, I think, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think whether he bowled in Australia under Imran's captaincy. He Probably didn't actually, but in England and stuff where he had, you know, one performance effectively at the Oval in 87. Um, so, yeah, you know, I mean, Javed had his strengths as a captain. Um, I think man management wasn't <laughs> one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and Imran had his strengths as a character and probably man management and general kind of, you know, lead by lead by deed was was one of mm-hmm. his strengths um, yes. as captain. And of course, Imran's existence uh basically creates a, a, a fast bowler for generations of fast bowlers to, to emulate. You know, Imran's kind of uh, is, a, is a pivotal figure and it's almost di- it's difficult to imagine Waza Makram and Waka Yunus mm-hmm. if Imran Khan had not gone before mm-hmm. them. Impossible, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we've been talking a lot about the Pakistani players and, uh, and captains. Uh, Gideon, I'm kind of curious, who are the... Who are the players from Australian teams that have, you know, toured Pakistan or played well against Pakistan? I'm particularly thinking about, you know, players who maybe played spin really well because, you know, as we've seen in the last maybe 10, 15 years, a lot of the Aussie batsmen have struggled against spin. I'm, from my memory of earlier tours, that wasn't the case. Um, and so I'm kind of curious, who are, who are the, the best players of spin, the best players uh, in subcontinental conditions uh, from your memory? Well, this is before my memory, but a player who I think um, we, we might overlook in terms of the developing of the Australia-Pakistan relationship is Richie mm. Benno. Mm. Took a team there in the uh, at the end of 1959 on a twin tour with uh, with India, and that was an extraordinarily complicated and unusual undertaking at the time. Uh, you know, you know, there was the, there was the one Test match on the on the mats in 1956, but. Uh, for Australia to to take a um, a tour of the subcontinent that basically took up their entire domestic season too, fifty nine mm-hmm. sixty they were yeah. going overseas rather than playing in their own their own competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a it was a it was a critical tour because it was um, at a time when Pakistan was coming into the 
uh, influence of, of the US um, under under Ayub Khan. Uh, it was resided, It was regarded as diplomatic ex, diplomatically expedient for Australia to send a, a cricket team at that at that time. Uh, they were under instructions to act as ambassadors um, before. The team left. Richie Benno got a full briefing from a senior um, foreign affairs diplomat, Peter Hayden. Mm. Uh, at the time, of course, Pakistan was still playing on mats, so it was a um, uh, it was a challenge for the Australians. But they prepared assiduously. They played on mats in Brisbane before they before they took the journey. Uh, they took apparently four hundred dozen cans of beer to uh, to, to make. Uh, life easier for them. Um, Australia, Australia then had a very high-profile high commissioner in Pakistan, Roden Cutler, VC, who was an Australian war hero. So they placed a great deal of weight on the relationship with with that country, and and that too was kind of a, a manifestation of it. And of course, it's the it's the famous occasion where uh, in the Karachi Test match where Eisenhower attends. However, briefly, I think he was only there for half an hour or an hour, but still the only occasion on which an American president has attended a test match. And don't forget at the time, you know, Pakistan was a bit of a bulwark in the in the Cold War. You know, Australia, it, America was flying U-2s over Russia from Peshawar. So uh, there was a lot of significance around that tour that we're inclined to, to underestimate now. And Benno carried it off with complete aplomb. You know, there were no incidents on that tour, no, no, no sour notes. Uh, Australia won and, and and won convincingly, but they did so in a in a in a decorous manner that uh, that endeared them to uh, to um, the locals. And there's an interesting sequel in the fact that Duncan Sharp, the uh, the young Anglo Indian who was playing for Pakistan, emigrated to Australia with Barry Jarman, the Australian wicketkeeper, as his sponsor. So interesting um, overlap and uh, lots of different layers and uh, and and levels to uh, to that undertaking. There was there was one other consequence of that tour. Kidding, I think, I, and I should know this because I'd written about it. But I think that was a tour on which was it Benno who made a point of the fact. I, I think was it Eisenhower who said that I thought cricket was played on grass mm. and and they were playing on a matting wicket. Was Sammy Loxton the Australian manager? That's he right, told yeah. um, he told uh, Ayub Khan said to him, "When will Pakistan ever be able to tour Australia?" And Loxton said he was actually he was actually under instructions from the Australian Cricket Board not to raise the hopes of Pakistan of a tour of Australia. <laughs> wow. Loxton said to Ayub Khan, "If you're going to succeed in Australia, you need fast bowlers, and you'll never have fast bowlers for as long as you play cricket on mats." Yeah, and as lo- as Sammy remembered, and Sammy was inclined to embellish. Ayub uh, <laughs> yeah. Khan apparently turned to a to a Pakistan cricket board functionary and said, "There will henceforward never be test matches in Pakistan on mats, or you will be shot." <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I mean, you know, with, with with the way the army is in Pakistan has been always, I, I don't know, poor Sammy. I think we're doing him a disservice by calling it embellishment. <laughs> I'd give him the benefit of the doubt, but you know, and and there was never, I don't think there was a test match played on on matting wickets or even a first class game. Uh, mm. There's only a handful of first class games. I think the next season played on matting wickets, but they moved eventually to turf, you know, mm. turf, turf pitches mm. and. It, it was needed because that was one of the major reasons why you know they, they kind of went into that funk 
in the 60s. Of course, Pakistan didn't play that many tests in that decade, but mm. one of the reasons was that they weren't being able to produce any fast bowlers, um, mm. and, you know, because mm. Fazal Mahmood had placed pebbles strategically under these matting surfaces yes. and he would just pinpoint and, and pitch on those pebbles and move the ball this way and that and pretend. Oh, for real? Was, I, I didn't know about know, this. So, Say, what's the story? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, so that, that, that's what they say. That's what they say that, you know, they would, they would often leave these pebbles underneath the, the choir surface of uh, the, the matting surface surface. But, you know, I mean, I, I think he, he was a great exponent of bowling on matting surfaces. Mm. The Australians, the Australians understood that, you know, they, and they used, they made a point of supervising yes. the unrolling of the mats every the day. You know, the <laughs> used to go down every morning and yeah. instruct the, um, the 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 ground staff to pull the mat tighter. Apparently, he used to, the Aussies used to arrive at the ground and they'd hear Lindsay yeah. Klein saying, "Pull your bastards, pull." <laughs> Imagine. Actually, staying in that series, it's funny you mentioned Duncan Albert Sharp because, you know, I genuinely had no idea about who this person. I was just going through that mm-hmm. scorecard actually and came across him. So could you tell us a little bit more about him? Uh, you mentioned that he was Anglo-Indian. Yeah, look, uh, it was funny. I, I When Australia toured in 94, I'd always been told this story about uh, Duncan Sharp. Mm. But um, So I went through the electoral rolls and I found him living in an outlying suburb of, of oh, Melbourne. Wow. Uh, he had, um, you know, he'd settled in Australia and married an Australian girl and, and raised a family. But of course, to his children, his period as a Pakistani Test cricketer was just unthinkable, bizarre. <laughs> but when I turned up, he still had all his scrapbooks and he still had all his stories, and it was like it had, it, it had taken place the day before. Uh, he was very charming and a very good player. He came to South Australia. And uh, they gave him a job on the ground staff and um, he couldn't cut it at Australian first class level, but he became a very proficient uh, sort of premier cricket player and eventually settled in, uh, in, in Melbourne. Yeah, it, it used to be like, it, it used to, you know, whenever we went on Australian tours, we would always be like, okay, we need to do one story on Duncan Sharp. We need to find Yeah, him. right. Yeah. It would always be like really difficult. I think Bryden Coverdale, who used to, you know, used to be a yeah. post guy in Australia for a long mm. time, absolutely superb writer. I think he did a piece with mm. Duncan. He, he I, I think similar to how Gideon traced him down, I think he tracked him down, opened up a phone book and like looked for his number, mm. found it, mm. called him up. Mm. He was very welcoming, went and did yes. the story. But it used to be like a, a a thing that you just did. You know, if anyone ever got to Australia for for a Pakistan tour, there, the journalists and you know, not many journalists would go for an Australia tour to Pakistan, uh, for a Pakistan tour to Australia mm-hmm. because it was so far mm-hmm. away and the time zones were such that you know, you, it wasn't, it didn't really make sense. But whenever anyone did go, the first thing they were like, right, I'm I'm in Melbourne for the Boxing Day test, and I need <laughs> how do we do it? There was a phone book for you. Give him a buzz. So uh, I, I never got to. I, I tried to do it, but I never got. I never got through to him. So the England team's paying a pilgrimage to Harold Larwood. What was that? Sorry? Oh, England team is paying a pilgrimage oh, to Harold yeah. Larwood. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Always, yeah, yeah. It's the one thing you have to do. Yeah, so yeah. Speaking of, uh, you know, Pakistani players uh, moving to Australia, or at least briefly, um, fast-forwarding a little bit to the Packer series, uh, the World Series of Cricket back in the 70s, um, did that have any lasting impact in terms of relationships being formed between Pakistani-Australian players um, or leaving a legacy of, leaving an impression with the Australian public about Pakistani players that went there? Because quite a few played in the World Series. 
They did. They did. Um, you know, even players like um, Haroon Rashid were called yeah. up in the uh, in in the, in the second season of uh, of, of WSC. Mm-hmm. I think um, it told you something about the profile of Pakistani cricketers at mm-hmm. the time, partly as a result of that seventy six seven series that uh, that. Uh, such a large body of them were recruited here. Probably more, certainly more Pakistanis than Indians. There were no Indians at all, and no New Zealanders. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, as far as the cricketing elite were concerned, people understood that uh, that, that Pakistan formed part of it. Uh, then there was, of course, the, uh, the the somewhat infamous Pakistan tour here in 1979, uh, during which some of the Pakistan players pointedly wore their World Series cricket caps to demonstrate their allegiance to a to Packer, even though they were playing in a test match against the established Australian I side. I know that. Mm. And that's actually, you know, Pakistan haven't won a test series in Australia ever, but that, I think, to me, that goes down as one of their greatest missed opportunities because Pakistan yeah. had a had a full strength side, mm-hmm. uh, and they didn't manage to win that series. That that was mm-hmm. the the surprise nine for eighty six yes. spell at yep. Melbourne in that series. <coughs> Sorry, um, but yeah, that I, I think I mean I, you know guys like Imran benefited from playing mm-hmm. at backer. He certainly says you know the kind of it was kind of like the IPL of its day mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. sense that he he came across so many players from around the world that he wouldn't have done in one concentrated burst of cricket. Or, mm. or of a tournament in in one go, he wouldn't have done otherwise. Yes. Um, he he came across all these people, and and he says that it, it helped him build his game. Uh, it, it helped him model his action. He became quicker through that kind of uh, impact. And you know, like Gideon says, I think that their profile uh, and and it was it was important that it was these guys. So it was you know guys like Mustaq, guys like Zahir, guys like Imran, guys like Asif Iqbal, who were like the main guys. Sadiq Mohammed mm-hmm. played later, um, who who were kind of like the cream of this team that had just come up done well in Australia, mm. had a great tour of the West Indies where they lost 2-1, but it was a great entertaining series right after that Australia series. They would then beat India in that famous, you know, 77-78 series mm-hmm. at home in Pakistan. Very entertaining. So it was important it was, that it was this this core of like six, seven players who played mm. in Packer and, mm. uh, you know, had a dispute, had their own dispute, their pay dispute with, with Kardar, who was the head of the Pakistan mm-hmm. board. At that time, they kind of, you know, fought for the rights of cricketers to be paid better mm-hmm. um, and, and changed kind of, you know, the nature of, it, it was these six guys. And I, I don't think it's any, you know, hyperbole to say that they, they changed the kind of, they, they transformed the Pakistani cricketer from an amateur being essentially into mm-hmm. a professional kind of athlete uh, sportsman. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, Packer was a huge part mm-hmm. of that because Packer yes. also opened up their minds to the fact yeah. that cricket was an industry, and you know there were there were workers in that industry, they, they were giving their labor, they're providing their labor for that, and so they should have been paid for, for for you know for the labor they were providing. So, I think in that sense, Packer changed the course of Pakistani history for for sure in many ways. That's interesting because it has so many parallels with the West Indies cricket team. Because whenever I hear them about their sort of yeah. rise and how that team yes. matured and came together. They always credit the Packer series as being a pivotal moment in that mm. history. So I, I, it's great to hear that it was mm. also the case uh, for the Pakistan team. Um, you know, it, it would be impossible for me to have this podcast talking about Pakistan Australian cricket history without talking about the infamous 81 Miadad Lily fight. Uh, um, I'm curious, you know, first, first Gideon, I'm kind of curious how it was reported in Australia at the time and how it's understood mm. or retold today 
Well, I think the assumption in Australia at the time was that, you know, me and Dud was a provocateur and uh, and um, militant and uh, attention seeking. You know, he was he was received uh, with considerable scepticism in mm-hmm. the media, but I think there was also a um, a sense among fans that the Australian team in those days got away with murder. Hmm. Um, that the Australian team were a bit arrogant and there was also a, a subtle undertone of approval for that, that, um, that here, was a, here was a cricketer who didn't hmm. back down, uh, who, who wasn't timid, um, who led from the front because he was captain on that tour hmm. and uh, he was um, probably you know, among the best two or three batsmen in the world at, uh, at that hmm. stage. Uh, the thing that Australians found confusing about Pakistan and the uh, and the the kind of the the, the the trope or the cliche about Pakistan cricket at the time was that it was a team full of captains that everyone wanted to lead. There was always this kind of undertone of politics to everything that happened on the on the cricket field. That that Pakistan cricket was a riddle inside a enigma inside a um, a, a cliche. Um, and, you could never be sure, and and as a result, that was a kind of a generally destabilizing influence mm. on the team. That uh, they could play brilliantly on occasion, but if there was disunity in the camp, then uh, then the team would would capitulate readily, and and everyone would point fingers at each other. That was the general kind of assumption from a distance in uh, in Australia. I don't know how true that was, Osman, but um, well, I mean, you know, you 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 say that, and I think you hit the nail on the head in the sense that that was the eighty one. That was eighty one, wasn't it? That was nineteen eighty one, eighty two, and yeah. it, it was before the. It was right after that that, in fact, there was a revolt against Javed Mirza mm. within the yeah. team. Uh, you know, there was eleven members who signed out of the squad who signed a letter to say that we will not uh, play mm. under his captaincy. And out of the eleven, there must have been at least thirteen who wanted mm. to be captain themselves. You know, there were people throwing themselves into the mix, left, right, and center, and ultimately, it was left to. To Noor Khan, who was the BCCP head mm. at that time, <coughs> to decide who who should be captain, mm. and, he, and he picked Imran, and you know, again, a massive, massive decision. But it 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 wasn't wrong because you know, Zahir wanted Zahir had ambitions of the captaincy at that time. Mm. Um, Majid would never say so, but you know, he was kind of mm. thinking that well, you know, I should be respected mm-hmm. as well, and and maybe mm. maybe rewarded with 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 the captaincy. Safraz Nawaz never thought. Never thought too lowly of himself. That's ever. shocking, Osman. No, exactly. Yeah, you know, it's right. So you know, I, I've named off the bat. I've named like three guys <laughs> yeah. plus Imran and Javed. That's five. You know, so out of a team of eleven, you you got five guys who think they want to be captain. So you know that uh, it's very much true. That assumption was right. Um, even though I think Piazad, there was one game in that on that eighty one tour. It was an ODI game, which Ian Chappell still rates. As 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 among the best games as as a captain for 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 captains uh, mm-hmm. input that he's seen I think in, uh, it was the World Series so West Indies were the mm-hmm. other team I think in that tri series mm-hmm. and and Pakistan were defending like literally like 120 or something yeah. uh, against them and I, I think West Indies won eventually by a wicket but I think nice. <coughs> Chapelli wrote in in a in a column on Cricket Info actually at some point where when he said that that's you know hands down the best limited overs captaincy I've seen mm. from a captain. It was Javed who was mm-hmm. captain. Tactically, mm. he thought, you know, he was, he was just amazing in how he used his bowlers and how he defended that mm. total and how he almost got Pakistan over the line. He says it's one of the best kind of matches mm. for captaincy that he's seen. So, you know, he, he, he wasn't 
he wasn't just a captain because he was you know yeah, the, or, or, or one of the, or the best batter in the side it, he genuinely had a brain mm-hmm. for the game um it's just that you know like, like we've like we've all known for a long time maybe the personality uh mm-hmm. wasn't quite so fit for for leadership Gideon, has uh, Lily talked about that fight in Miyadad uh, more recently? Uh, or does that not come up? I don't think he spoke recently. I don't think he would have changed his mind. I mean, Dennis has got a mind that's no easier to change than a $1,000 <laughs> note. He's, uh, yeah, and once he makes up his mind about you, um, he doesn't shift far. But I think there was a... a he were no doubt that just as much as um, as, as Imran Javed was a uh, a personification of, of Pakistan cricket through the eighties and nineties. Mm-hmm. You always knew you were in a contest mm-hmm. with him. Um, and this one, just finally on this, uh, I know you interviewed Miyadad as well, right? For the for the book, um, what did he what did he have to say? I, the answer is probably obvious, but I'm I'm still curious. I just still want to hear. Well, so so the thing is, you know, the thing with Miyadad, of course, is that he never answers the question that you asked him. Um, he, you know, he, he he listens to the question, but he will go off into like what he feels the answer should be. So he 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 began, and I, and I did ask him about it, and you know, he started off by saying, "Well, you know, you can see the footage now on YouTube, and you can see that he struck me first, which I, I think is correct. But you know, I, I have zero doubt that Miyadad would have been needling him since probably 1976. You know, he, he must have been needling yeah. him since then to get that kind of response. But he he turned it, of course, into a question of his his honor and you know he was leading the country and how could he let anybody do that to a pakistan captain and then of course it it went into the question of his captaincy and how he should never have been kicked out and how how you can kick out somebody like so and so and you know with the, and so it it began with him kind of defending himself of course and and not blaming himself but then turning into like the whole you know i should have been the captain forever and they 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 had two revolts against me when i was captain and both times it was you know these these people who didn't deserve their place in the team and the second time it was match fixers who did it and so it shouldn't have happened and you know i was just like okay i've got the recorder on and you know we'll just let it play out and see how it goes he's answering the question was that sorry he's probably still answering that question somewhere somewhere in his head he is still answering that question <laughs> Okay, for uh, sticking to, well, maybe not Mieda, but the Lily, the fast bowlers, uh, you know, it wouldn't be a Pakistan <laughs> cricket podcast without talking about amazing spells uh, of fast bowlers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was kind of curious if you two, you know, there's so many that come to mind, you know, Asif, Shoaib, Safraz, Nawaz, uh, you know, Wasim, Imran, Amir. Um, I'm curious for the two of you, what are the, the best spells of fast bowling? Uh, that you can remember, Pakistan and Australian actually in in a Pakistan Australia series. Mm. One of the ones that comes to my mind for just its sheer historical significance is that, um, and it's not in a Test match; it's in an ODI. Um, the Australia Pakistan ODI in the World Championship of Cricket in 1985. Mm. It's the mm. first time that Australians had seen what Wasim Akram could do. Blew away the Australian top order, bowling very fast and very full and swinging it late. And, you know, he was just a kid, probably 18 at the time. Yeah, yeah. Pakistan does have the capacity for producing incredibly accomplished, very, very young cricketers. Uh, and you can see that on YouTube. And, and Wazim does look incredibly young, mm-hmm. but incredibly fast. Mm-hmm. And, the, and you, also, you can also listen to the commentary 
and the commentary is excited. Mm. Like sometimes, you know, commentators sense the wheel of history turning, that they're seeing something significant, and everyone seems to intuit that they're watching the, the first stages of a, of a potentially great career. Mm. Uh, that's one that I've looked at quite a bit, and uh, it's it's exciting. You know, it's really exciting. You 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 feel the, the the hair prickle on the back of your neck. Yeah, I mean, Wasim, you talking about him in his early days. It kind of reminds me. I think this is something that you know, Osman, you've talked about and written about. Was the Wasim Akram that you know a lot of people in Torres later career remembers? You know, the genius who was basically on a string. He could do the play. You know, mm-hmm. like. Asif style with with the batsman, but his mm. early days, I mean, he could hit you on the head with like a bouncer with that whippy action that you can't see. There's there's a he could he had almost everything in his sort of early career, right? That that yeah, not not even by, by the way, not even that early in his career. You know, he 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 could be nasty when he wanted, and it was, in fact, in a in a Pakistan Australia Test match, I think I'm pretty sure Gideon will probably know more but i'm pretty sure that steve war one of the nastiest spells that he rates that he's ever mm-hmm. faced in test cricket mm-hmm. and you know steve war has been in the middle of some great battles but i think one of the spells that he highlights always is the the raul pindi spell uh on the 9495 mm-hmm. series yeah. in in which he says you know wasim akram just and, and it was very much a wasim thing to do that you know he had been kind of ambling in maybe not so mm-hmm. much in the mood mm-hmm. pre-lunch and then suddenly, Steve War says that, you know, post-lunch, he just turned into this nasty, nasty kind of, you know, left arm with that angle, with that quick arm. But if, if you think about, you know, right arm batsman, the worst angle is, is a delivery coming up to him in kind of his armpit. Because he can't mm. properly sight it. He can't position himself just right for it. And so he says that one of the, you know, one of the spells post-lunch that day, he didn't get out to him. Not, not mm. in that spell, but I think he got peppered quite a few times on his body, got hit several times. And he says that that's one of the fastest spells and one of the nastiest spells that he's faced. And, and that, you know, that was pure Akram. Like when he wanted to just become like an enforcer, he could do it. He could be mm-hmm. the magician, but when he wanted to become an enforcer, he, you know, he, he could easily do it. He often did. I remember Mark Taylor, uh, and this is from the cricketer, the Pakistani cricketer. I remember they had, they had, you know, picked up an interview of his without permission, obviously, from the magazine in which it had, it, it had originally <laughs> appeared. But, it, and, and, you know, I, I don't mind. I, I got to read about Mark Taylor. But he he said it was that 89-90 tour when Pakistan went to Australia. Um, really good series, actually. They lost 1-0. Yeah. Uh, Wasim's yep. first really big kind of test series as, you know, as, as a fast bowler and an all-rounder and kind of taking over from Imran as the, as the, as the leader of the pace attack. But that was also... Like Mark Taylor, peak Mark Taylor early years, right? He'd made his debut the year before, I think. And so he was still averaging like 60, 65 after like maybe 15, mm-hmm. 20 tests. And and he had a big series against Pakistan, scored twin hundreds in one of the test matches, I think, and, and scored runs generally. And he said that, you know, they asked him, of course, you know, who's been your toughest opponent so far? And he said that was he Makram because he can mm-hmm. land four balls of an over in the same spot and do four different mm-hmm. things with them. He, he can mm-hmm. hit you on the chin with one of them. He can beat your outside edge with another. He can beat your inside edge with another. And then he can just bowl straight and quick with another. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at, so at that time, I think Wasim was also, is also one of the few Pakistani fast bowlers of the modern age, Imran apart from 76 apart or whatever. But if you look across the 80s and 90s, Wasim is one of the few Pakistani bowlers who's actually had profitable tours of, of Australia. You, know, yes. you think of the guys, number of guys who failed mm-hmm. in Australia, from Shoaib, from Mohammed Sami, from uh, Amir, and yeah. all these guys. They've had horrendous throws. Pakistan's bowling, fast bowling in Australia has been a, a train Absolutely. wreck, you know, for the mm-hmm. best part of two decades now. But Wasim was the one guy who stood out, and I think, and I think that was probably the reason why Australians held him in even greater respect than than you mm-hmm. would just 
you know, ordinarily, I think, because they had seen the best of his bowling in Australia on multiple occasions. Yeah. And one thing we should say, Sammy, is you know, if we're talking about Australian, if we're talking about Pakistan Australian mm-hmm. cricket, the extraordinary fact that probably the greatest moment in Pakistan cricket history was on Australian soil in the World Melbourne. Cup final of 1992. Yeah. And Wasim front and centre in that, um, bowling an amazing spell, bowling, um, bowling from round the wicket as a left armour, uh, something that we'd very seldom seen in Australia mm-hmm. before. And having the ball on a string and producing that that amazing over where he dismisses um, Alan Lamb and Chris Lewis with consecutive deliveries, uh, in front of a crowd who are there for the mm-hmm. cricket, they're not there to yeah. to support Australia. Yeah, you know, there were eighty eight thousand people at that ground yeah. wondering what earth they were doing there because they'd expected to see Australia in the final, and all of a sudden, um, Wasim Akram is revealed as probably the best all-rounder in the world at, uh, at, that, at that stage in front of a crowd of people whose allegiances are up for grabs. I guess they were never going to support yeah, England, <laughs> but they, uh, they did fall in behind Pakistan that night. And with the, I mean, I've wa- I, that was the first World Cup that I remember watching, you know, most of that I remember. And, uh, and then, of course, I got the, the tape, you know. I, sort of, I, I remember the highlights mm-hmm. commentary by heart almost, I remember. For me, it's like Benno's voice and uh, Bill Laurie. I can't think of Pakistan playing that World Cup without Benno's voice in my head. Uh, yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, ben- Benno's commentary for those two deliveries, especially, you know, that's mm. just mm. Yeah, just amazing. But, you know, the, the likewise to that is actually one of, one of Australia's kind of, I, I guess, most seminal wins it was the 87 semi-final win over, over Pakistan in, in right. Lahore, yeah. right? In yeah. 87, set up the World Cup for them. I know I know they beat, you know, beat England in Calcutta um, a few days later in the final, but, you know, the, the, the upset of that tournament was them beating Pakistan, you know, at, yeah. at least mm-hmm. for Pakistan, because mm-hmm. nobody in Pakistan had given them a chance, frankly. Mm-hmm. You know, this was supposed to be Imran's great farewell to the game, to the country. Well, that's the one that, you know, the, the people who are close to Imran say that that's the one that stung him the most. You know, it still yes. does because he really felt that that was destiny. You know, he would go yes. out on the home crowd with the, with the win against Australia and then on to the finals and stuff. So, you know, and, and that kind of marks the moment when Australia started kind of rising from, you know, it took yes. them a few more years to kind of get there. But, that you know, the Alan Border and, and, and the kind of the, the impact that he had on his team as a leader. That built from that kind of campaign and it's, then took off, you know, Craig McDermott's five, David Boone, you were talking about good players mm-hmm. of Spain in the subcontinent. Yes. David Boone was had a tremendous World Cup. Dean Jones, yeah. you know, one, mm-hmm. one of the finest kind of subcontinent players, the late Dean Jones, amazing player that way. Uh, so that kind of, you know, that, that moment was mirrored for Australia, I think, five years earlier. Um, yes. Steve Ward taking down Salem Jaffa in that last yeah. over. That was the runs. that was the moment. It was where Steve Ward developed that reputation as the Ice Man, the man yeah. for for all occasions. Interesting, I didn't know that. Uh, it was the all round Steve Ward rather than the batting Steve Ward, mm. but, um, but instrumental in that semi final win. And don't forget, Imran retired after that eighty seven World Cup for yeah. about six months. He was devastated by that mm. by that defeat. He had to be cajoled um, back into uh, into the into the role. And I remember, you know, Wazam Akram talks about how. He was lost when yeah. um, in, when Imran uh, seemed to uh, withdraw from hmm. from cricket because he'd been so instrumental in uh, in Wasm's rise. 
for me, I guess like, you know, 87, I don't remember, but 99, I remember that's, that's the big one for me. Like, I think that was the, mm. one of the best teams that I'd ever seen of Pakistan. We mm. were so consistent that year, that whole year under Wasim's captaincy yep. going in. Uh, and, you know, we beat Australia in the group stages with that. Ooh. And Wasim again was yeah, amazing was game, uh, towards the end. That was a great and game. then the final, and then after, I don't know, looking back at the time, I thought, you know, this is such a solid, amazing Pakistani cricket team. We're sort of rebuilt. Um, and Australia was kind of good, but not, I didn't think was was that amazing. And then 99, we lose the World Cup final. Pakistan goes to Australia on a tour, I think, which I was really excited by. I thought, you know, this is our chance. Shoei Bakhtar right. is on fire and he bowled one of the... And it also seems like that was the the tipping point that World Cup onwards for Australia for the you know the the greatest generation arguably um, the greatest team arguably since mm. West Indies is that right was ninety nine the the hinge point certainly uh, in ninety nine Pakistan were were a team that you had to beat um, they 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 almost ranked with the West Indies frankly because the West Indies were just coming off their mm-hmm. peak. Uh, there were once again a lot of very very good players in that uh, in that Pakistan team. You know, Australia's had huge reps on someone like Saeed Anwar, uh, and so that that series, as you say, down uh, down here, and that that amazing Bell Reeve Test where Australia pulled it out of the um, obvious Pakistan winning position on the basis of that Peter Parker's infamous decision involving Justin Langer. <laughs> uh, that, was, that was an absolute cracking series uh you know these days uh, maybe it's something to do with age Osman, but uh, but the series are kind of blurring into one another but you but you remember those um those yeah. year don't you absolutely and you know what so that that pakistan side is probably so that 99 and especially the white ball mm-hmm. side i would say yes is probably the most gifted pakistan side that's existed on paper if, if you look mm-hmm. at i mean you know inzamam yusuf johanna as mm-hmm. it was then Saeed yes. Anwar, uh, Wasim, Shoaib, Saklain Mushtaq, Razak, yep. and Azhar Mahmood. You know, so that was extravagantly gifted side. Um, but of course, you know, the, the flip side of that side was, of the, you know, the, the, the corruption and, and the fixing allegations. Yeah. In the peak, hmm. like, you know, the Kayum report was happening at that time. Uh, the Kayum report would come out the following year. So everything of about that side, at least for me, has become kind of tinged with you know the darker mm. side of that of mm. that whole era and that team specifically and 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 so you wonder and you know Australia were the better team I think as yeah. gifted as Pakistan were I think Australia was still the better side but mm. you always wonder about results in that year especially you you wonder about some of the results that year the year before the years after you kind of you you just wonder about you know the, what was going on in that side so that kind of it, it taints that era for me a little bit. Uh, but I, I think, you know, like Gideon said, there's no doubt that that was the most extravagantly, uh, extravagantly gifted side that Pakistan mm-hmm. has put together um, on paper. They were they were ahead of their time. When, in white ball cricket, they were ahead of the game for a long mm-hmm. while. You know, you had outliers like 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 Lance Klusner yeah. there. But I think what Pakistan were doing with their bowling attack, especially, was just insane. It, 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 mm-hmm. was, a, it was a... Saklan crazy. bowling in the power plays at the end. Yeah, the clan was genius. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just an amazing side. Okay, well, thank you. So I've, I've taken so much of your time. So I'll just, we'll try and wrap up and so you both can get on with your lives. I really appreciate you giving me so much of your time. So maybe just getting back to the tour, um, you know, maybe we'll start with Gideon. Uh, you know, what do you think about 
Aussie chances, uh, you know, in this tournament. What do you, what do you think about the, especially the batting lineup? I'm curious, how do you think the batting lineup is going to, uh, you know, cope in Pakistani conditions? Well, it's coalesced this summer in Australia against, you know, not great standard opposition, but they, um, but I think the restoration of um, Usman Khawaja to the Australian top yeah. order gives it a, a sheen of quality that, that was lacking before. Uh, it looks like he's going to open in, uh, in in Pakistan. It's probably not a mm. bad move. Uh, Travis Head, interesting challenge for him because he's not really made runs overseas before. He's been a bit of a, an Australian flat track mm. bully, so um, so he's got a bit to prove. Uh, Labashane, I think, will relish the opportunity <laughs> yeah. to, uh, to find a new frontier to uh, to conquer. But there's some doubts around. Now, Warner's coming to the end. Smith hasn't been the same player since he was clocked by Jofra Archer. Uh, there's, there are, there's lots of narratives at play in this Australian team and uh, and three test matches is a good opportunity to, to explore them. I'd be disappointed if it had been a two-test yeah. series. Um, too often that's decided in the, in the first rubber, but there's sufficient scope for players to come back over the course of a, of a three-test mm-hmm. series. Uh, I'm slightly disappointed that the uh, that Cummins and and Warner and Hazelwood are not staying for the uh, for the white ball games allegedly to, uh, to to rest ahead of the IPL. I think that's a that's a disappointing expedient for um, for senior Australian players to set. But uh, but those games will be competitive as well because Pakistan's been a good white ball team for the last five years. Uh, look. It's at a good time of year in Australia too. Um, the football season will be in its early stages, but people are still excited about about cricket. It'll take place at a reasonable time of day in Australia, mm-hmm. sort of late in the evening, uh, going through to about you know eleven eleven thirty. So it's a kind of time of day when when people are prepared to stay up and watch oh, good, good cricket. And there's there's, a, there's an element of exoticism about it. You know, there's a lot of really Great talents in that Pakistan team. We got a glimpse of them during the T20 World Cup, but you know you don't need to look much further than Barbara Azam and Mohammad Rizwan mm-hmm. and um, uh, you know Harris Ralph, who's been out here for, for the BBL. Mm. Um, yeah, Shaheen Shah Afridi, very good player. Hasat Hasat Ali is uh, is going to be a terrific opening combination when fast bowling is is on show. When it's a when it's a a, a knock them down shoot them out contest between uh, two fast Two hot, fast bowling attacks that makes for very watchable cricket. And as Osman's saying, I think the auspices around the pitches are really promising. So um, it's always better cricket, isn't it, when the ball is slightly in the ascendant? And that's mm-hmm. probably the kind of series we're going to get. Yeah, hundred percent. I think I, I think the bowling attacks are going to decide it. Really, you know, you've got mm-hmm. two really like just exciting bowling attacks. I think the, the one thing that Pakistan are missing probably is like a quality spinner. I think Yasser Shah's yeah. kind of. That's what I, I was going to ask you about. Yeah, and he's at, Yeah, he's kind of slipped off a little bit over the last. Well, a, a fair bit actually over the last three years. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, Pakistan experimented with kind of quicker pitches at Pindi, which is where the first test is going to be. That's going to be really mm-hmm. interesting in itself. Actually, playing in Pindi yeah. as first test, I know is has made some of the Pakistani players a bit unhappy because you know Pindi has traditionally over the well traditionally I say it's only been two years or whatever but you know the the last couple of surfaces at Pindi have been quicker a bit more seam movement and stuff which you know they, they argue plays into the hands of guys like Cummins and, and Hazelwood right. and stuff um so you know but but those surfaces I, I think Pakistan miss maybe a spinner Australia have got 
Nathan Lyon. And mm. actually, he's one of the things that I, I really want to see how mm-hmm. he goes, mm-hmm. Nathan Lyon, because he he is a, a, just a wonderful spinner to watch, wonderful off spinner. You know, the, there's not many like him around in the world. The the two times that I've seen him bowl in the UAE, very different conditions, of course, but yes. you know, he, he'd learned a fair bit from the first series where Yunus mm. Khan and Mizbah Ulhaz went after him a fair bit yes. to the second series where he was much tighter. I think and he had yes. learned how to kind of, you know, bowl to containing fields and, and keep mm. the scoring down, which is important in these conditions. So I'd like to see how he goes. It'd be really, it'd be really good to see how he goes on these surfaces, actually. And, mm. and I think it may well be the difference that Australia have a spinner in their attack who has what, 400 yes. wickets and, and Pakistan have, you know, Sajid Khan, who's, Who's not a 400 wickets bowler? He's you know he's he's had a he's had a good first year, but you know he, he's definitely raw. And 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 one of the things actually, one of the really interesting things is how the pitches turn out because I think I suspect Pakistan are caught halfway between wanting to go head to head with the pace attacks, mm. but also thinking, well, you know, can we exploit their spin weakness or can we exploit any weakness mm-hmm. that might be there on on spinning mm-hmm. surfaces? Australia have a mm. terrible record in Aust- in India recently, but hey, so does everyone yeah. else. Um, mm. So, you know, it, 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 I think Pakistan are kind of stuck in between whether they want to go, let's have a shootout with our pace attacks, or yep. should we go slightly slower, have some more spin, and see how they play it, how they, how they mm. face up to that. Yeah. Just one quick question, just because you brought up uh, um, Nathan Lyon. Uh, Gideon, I, I, I heard one of your recent podcasts with Steve O'Keefe talking about spinning in India. Hmm. Um, what do you think about, you know, what did, did Steve say anything about how Nathan Lyon might go in the subcontinent? No, he hasn't given me a glimpse of that. It's interesting that, um, that Lyon, uh, Lyon, Lyon's role in that Australian side, he, he, he sort of seems to some, some oscillate between the idea of being a potential match winner and being a bowler who simply bowls to uh, provide respite for the, uh, for uh, the faster mm-hmm. bowlers. Uh, the the thing that I like actually quoted back to uh, to to Steve in that uh, in that interview is something that Sri Sriram told me about mm-hmm. coaching the the two of them in India mm-hmm. that um, it seemed like that Steve had played fifty test matches and, and Nathan was just starting out you know he's um, oh. he's a guy who does struggle a little bit with his with his confidence uh, it's likely that he'll be the only spinner in that Australian side mm-hmm. and. It, the, the, the position of the solo spinner is always um, a highly pressured mm-hmm. one. You know, the, uh, there's no one else to, 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 to fall back on. I wouldn't be surprised if Australia turned to Labuschagne at, at some points during this series. Certainly Labuschagne would want them to. <laughs> he loves <laughs> and And don't forget that he did actually make his debut against Pakistan in the UAE yeah. almost as a pieces player. Yeah. Yeah, he was in it partly for his, his, his leg spin. Uh, and he didn't do too badly either. No, I, I actually think he's got a lot of potential. Maybe he hasn't spent enough time on it over the last few years because he's so busy batting for eight hours at a time on uh, on artificially uh, deteriorating <laughs> surfaces. But I know that if he gets the opportunity, I wouldn't be surprised if he's a if he's a useful relief option for uh, for, for Cummins this series. You know, one of the just one of the things that I wanted to add into the, the bowling attacks was actually. That it, it, both in in Cameron Green and and Fahim Ashraf, mm-hmm. I think you know the, Pakistan and Australia have found two guys who yes. change the nature of their attacks a fair bit. Mm. Uh, yep. You know, Fahim 
has has been a, a very kind of underappreciated addition to that test side totally and, and a developer to that test side with his bowling because you know Pakistan's bowling attacks have suffered for the, the pace attacks have suffered for not being enough you know there's there's three of them and, and they all get tired and then Yasser Shah comes on mm. and Yasser Shah can't control kind of you know mm. one end and so you know they're mm. kind of rotating those three but Fahim Ashraf's arrival and I think emergence and development as a as a bowler has really changed the the nature of that Pakistani attack. It's it, it keeps Shaheen and, and Hassan fresh, and and you know yes. Spinner keeps plugging over my end. And similarly for for Australia, I think Cameron Green, you know these, these both these guys are actually like wicket taking bowlers, um, and, yes. and that makes a huge difference when you have all rounders in, in in any bowling attack. It makes a massive massive difference. And Rizwan too. Rizwan mm, by being yeah. able to play at five and six. Does give them additional bowling options, doesn't he? He, he contributes significantly to the depth of that side. Geez, a good player. You know, you you were talking about uh, Pakistani teams having more than one captain. <laughs> yeah, Rizwan will never, will never, will will never play it that way. But goddamn, he's a there's a sitting captain, natural leader of men mm. in your dressing room right there and then. Yeah. And I just wonder at what point, and it will be somebody like Ramiz Raja who will make that call. But I just wonder at what point Pakistan will say that okay, look. This guy is the natural leader of this team. Let's bump him up there. Uh, and just quickly on uh, Labashane bowling, the upside of that would be he'd also be uh, near the stump mic. So, you know, that is always a bonus and we can always use that. Well, <laughs> um, okay, so again, I've taken so much of your time. I really, 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 really appreciate it. Some random dude just messaged you to say, do you want to talk about cricket? And you're like, yeah, fine. Uh, no questions asked. I really appreciate it. Before I let you leave, just quick predictions for the... We'll just stick to the test series. Quick predictions from both of you. <laughs> I think Australia's a good lineup. actually. I think having played the five test matches mm-hmm. this summer, um, uh, I think they're very cohesive. I think they're very mature. Uh, I think Andrew McDonald's a good choice as coach. Mm. Mm. Uh, I, I think some of the sort of the, the immediate short-term issues have been eliminated by um, by the replacement of, uh, of, of of Justin Langer. I think Cummins has been has dropped into the role of captain like a like a penny into the slot, mm-hmm. um, and you know he's just he's so good. He's just so damn good as is Hazelwood. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and against a batting lineup that there, where there's a few questions about it, I'm sorry that Abid Ali won't be playing because yeah, I think yeah. he's a pretty good player. Uh, it seems as though Pakistan have more questions going into the series than than Australia. So, and it, if if as you say the, uh, the 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 pitches are a little bit quicker, I think um, you know, Australia will uh, probably just come out ahead. Asma. Yeah, I would probably like. I I would say that Australia's attack, and I think it's going to be going to be the attacks that decide kind of the the the, you know, the outcome of the series. I think Australia's attack has has been together for longer, has proven its quality over a longer period of time. I mean, you know, Rizwan himself says uh, uh, that Hazelwood is is hands down the toughest bowler that he's hmm. faced mm-hmm. in his life so far. You know, so you've got guys like Hazelwood coming back from from injury. Um, Cummins, Stark, Starks back in form, uh, yeah. Green has come, Starks back mm, in form. Yeah. Greens come on so much, and they've got depth as well. You know, they've they've got they've over the course of this Ashes, they've kind of given debuts to a couple of other bowlers as well. So that you know, there's that depth there, and I I feel like in a series that might come down 
uh, to the strength of of the bowling attacks, I feel like Australia have an edge. I, I don't think it's going to be easy at mm-hmm. all. I think it's going to be toughish because you know Pakistan's batting lineup it has questions as always about the openers. But you know, I, mm-hmm. I think in in Babur, Fawad Alam, mm-hmm. and 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 Rizwan and Fahim's mm-hmm. batting, you know, they've got some mm-hmm. grit in that kind of middle lower order. But uh, you know, they might be asked too many questions. Mm-hmm. Mm. relentlessly by a very, very high-quality bowling attack. And I, I feel like that might help them edge it's it. It's a close series for mm. sure, it seems. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully we get one. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again. And uh, yeah, hopefully chat with you both uh, sometime in the future. Be good. Thank you very Take much. Care. Cheers, Oz. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Before I finish, I just want to say thank you to Dikobe for letting me use his music. You can donate to my Patreon page if you would like to help me in continuing to do these podcasts. Links with information about the guests, the music, and the Patreon page can be found in the podcast description. Thank you. Sports Social Podcast Network.